You're listening to the 10X Your Agency podcast, where every Wednesday for the next 12 weeks, you'll be learning strategies on how to scale up your agency and grow your client base from successful agency owners who've been there, done it, and built a highly successful agency. You'll learn how they attract clients, what their biggest causes of client churn were, and what their challenges were at different stages of building their agency. My name is Marcus Taylor, and I'll be your host. Hey guys, welcome to episode five of the 10X Your Agency podcast. Today, I'm joined by a really special guest and a good friend, Danny Ashton, who is the founder of Neomam Studios, an agency based up in Manchester here in the UK who specialize in creating visual content and infographics for some really impressive brands. So we're going to be talking about how that niche focus has affected the agency, both in positive and negative ways, and some of the challenges that Danny has had around growing the Neomam team. So Danny, it's a huge pleasure having you here on the show. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. It's a nice sunny day here in Manchester, so no complaints from me, but yeah. So before we jump in, I was just wondering if you can maybe share with us a little bit about what Neomam Studios do and perhaps a little bit about what makes the agency a bit different to other agencies. Yeah, so as an agency, we build visual content, uh, develop visual content ideas and promote them to get our clients top tier media placements. So the vast majority of clients are in-house SEO teams, usually kind of mid to large size businesses who they see the kind of the acquisition of these types of, of links is, is is hard, challenging, expensive, uh, and they want to use kind of specialists to kind of help them support their overall strategy. Um, so most of our competitors kind of do a lot more than that. So they're usually kind of either full service agencies or, you know, SEO agencies who do a lot more of the kind of strategy, the the other elements that go towards these campaigns, whereas we've very much focused on uh, the links and see the links as the main reason why people hire us. And uh, one of the things that we do as a, as a business is we actually put a guarantee on that. So we say that for the price that they're paying, this is how many placements we're going to get of a certain quality. And if we don't, then we, we do another campaign or we even give them their money back, which is hard, but it is, is keeps us very focused on what we do. So I suppose that's the kind of the difference between what we do, because we, we literally just strip everything back and say, look, this is what you're paying for. This is what you're going to get. And this is how we're going to do it. And if we don't do it, this is what's going to happen. And if we do, this is what's going to happen. So, and it's kind of simple for us to understand and simple for the clients. Got it. And has Neomam always been focused around visual content or was there kind of something that came before this that made you realize you wanted to focus on visual content specifically? We've always been focused on visual. Just the kind of evolution of the agency came from me working freelance. I used to do what I call link bait articles, uh, which were basically just listicles, as as they're known now, where kind of cool little list with some nice images. And then I started to see that, you know, there's something called infographics turned up and they seem to be doing really well, tried it out, tested it, pulled one together for 50 quid with a freelance designer. And then we did it and it it seemed to work, you know, even better than the stuff we were doing. And the other benefit was that we didn't have any issues with like using images from around the web because obviously we're creating these. So we've always had that. Now, pretty much when we started, we were just infographics. And I suppose over the kind of last few years, we've really focused into other kind of visual assets because there's no reason why one format is the only way to go. So we do a lot of video. We even do stuff like, you know, designs for card design mock-ups or floor plans or, you know, illustrations, anything that really brings to life whatever the idea is. So it gives us the freedom. So if a client comes to us, we need to hit the results, then we come up with ideas and then we find out what format works best for that idea. And that's kind of how we approach it now. 
That's really interesting. Over the past sort of five years, there was a big uptick in people using infographics. Are you still seeing the infographic trend live and kicking, increasing, decreasing? Or what's the change that you've seen around the use of visual content in marketing? Yeah, so I think there was definitely a, a reduction. So there was a time, you know, maybe kind of a year and a half ago where it was like the major peak, maybe two years, where everyone and his dog seemed to be producing infographics. And there was a massive deluge of especially low, cheaper infographics. And it was kind of, you know, starting to annoy everyone. And everyone was kind of saying, you know, everyone was doing it. And now I think we've kind of gone back to kind of normality, which is some infographics are being produced still at this kind of, a, you know, a, a decent rate, but they're usually of the higher quality variety. Mm. And the way I see it is that at a certain point, people can sell infographics, but at some point, the client or the, the person buying them is going to ask why and look for the results. And the reality is, is that, you know, doing a, a cheap infographic or, you know, a low level, low quality, or however you want to define it, just doesn't get for link building purposes doesn't work. So there's no point continue doing that. So I think there's definitely a reduction in that. From our perspective, well done infographics still perform very well. There are certainly other formats that can work better for certain objectives. So a lot of the UK media and newspapers and stuff are not as supportive of infographics and would prefer things like video or, or alternate formats. But it depends on, on different sectors, really. But yeah, definitely a reduction in the, the lower quality. And I think you can just see that, you know, a lot of the visuallys now no longer exist. And a lot of the kind of seed insights don't really exist. And, and that's only a good thing as, as obviously the market matures. Definitely. It sounds kind of similar to what happened in the whole kind of social media space with this big boom when everyone was kind of jumping on social media. And then it reached a point when people were kind of questioning, what's the purpose of this? And there's still obviously, you know, a huge amount of companies investing in social, but it's at a much more kind of intelligent, well thought out level now. And it sounds like that's perhaps kind of similar to what's happening in the, the kind of the infographic world. Yeah, and I think it's probably going to start to happen. I think this 2017 is going to start, people are going to start questioning the whole content marketing thing if they haven't mm. already. So, you know, these things happen again and again. Social media is a, a perfect example that I think SEOs like to look at and, you know, and laugh at. But probably the same thing, you know, happened within SEO many years ago where everyone was doing it, everyone was getting on part of it. But I think it, it always comes down to the clients. Obviously, clients become savvier, they more understanding of clients just want to spend money to make more money or to, to mm. achieve certain goals and if it doesn't do that then eventually it doesn't matter how good the agency salesman is they're going to kind of wise up and and you know choose another provider or, or choose to do it internally or you know find a way that, that makes sense or just stop entirely has this niche ever had its limitations for for you so just to give you kind of a bit of backstory, obviously, we started doing infographics for kind of SEO purposes to start. And then we started getting really good at making them. And the designs were nice. And, and because we were at the right time and the right place and all the rest of it, uh, we started getting a lot of inquiries about doing infographics for like, you know, massive companies like uh, Rio Tinto or the UN and all these massive companies, which to me as an agency person, I was like so excited about. And I thought, this is the way, this is the way our business is going to be. And so what we did is really go, well, maybe our business isn't getting the links from the link building, but actually, you know, the format itself so we can become an infographic agency. And that was certainly something that we did uh, that I think was probably one of our biggest mistakes that we probably we weren't aware of at the time, but only aware of afterwards. So what we did is we kind of we opened up our niche a little bigger, thinking that it wasn't really, a, 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 you know, it didn't seem like a massive step to provide the same format for a different audience. But actually, it was a massive and a real massive jump. I think that's still hard for me today, because obviously, 
obviously I still get a lot of inquiries about doing these pieces of work, very well paid. It seems very exciting, but the reality is, is that that isn't our focus and it isn't where we want to do. And actually any time and investment we put into those type of projects, it just kind of puts us off our main goal of, of the kind of work we want to do. So someone like Rio Tinto or the UN, what were they looking to do with those infographics, if not use them for kind of content marketing purposes? So it was actually quite a number of different niches within this. So there's the internal comms people. So there's a big budget for them of obviously content marketing. We want to communicate to, you know, to potential customers, whereas they want to communicate to maybe existing staff or mm. existing uh, people who are already involved within the business. And that's a you know, massive opportunity. And certainly if you wanted to set up a business, these guys are waiting and they want your money. But the challenge for us was that actually that's more of what a design agency does. So a design agency mm. pr- provides work for that will be evaluated on the client's perspective of if, if it's good or not. And that's very challenging for us because before or our normal work and the work that we specialize in now is very much defined by the results it achieves. Or what we often find, and obviously people working in agencies will know this, is that often for people's perception of what is good and, and not is very different. And you, know, you can spend a lot of time kind of back and forth. Uh, whereas when we're working on results, then we all know what we're trying to achieve and, and it makes it a lot easier. It depends what business you want to run. I mean, I think for us, we really enjoy getting the, the results, seeing our stuff being shared and, and seeing that engagement in happening in real time. Uh, whereas with other stuff, it, it doesn't, it's kind of like we just have to get it good enough for that client to like and, and that doesn't really excite us. So Danny, I think I remember, because I think we're connected on Facebook. I remember a few years ago, uh, I think probably around 2014 maybe, seeing a bunch of, of photos of you traveling all around the world whilst running Neomam. Is, is, does that sound right? Yeah, no, I used to do that a lot more. So especially in the early days, I, I took about three months off to live in the Philippines. And yeah, it was kind of mad. And I mean, I try and the big thing that I want to try and do is I've never been one to like, put in like the the lots of hours i don't think it's a useful use of your time and it depends if you really enjoy that and that's that's great but for me i like to have time to do the things i like doing as well as work so certainly kind of one of the things i always talk about is obviously you know working relatively short hours so we, we start at 10 and we finish at five but I probably finish a little bit earlier than that most days, but also making sure that we, you know, we do have the time to go away and have proper holidays fairly regularly throughout. I found that actually traveling and probably other people could relate to this, but traveling and working is kind of hard. <laughs> it's because, uh, you know, things like internet getting down to work is like a real pain. Whereas actually going away and having a week and actually be able to switch off completely and then coming back and then working and then having those, those little mini breaks are a lot more, less stressful rather than having to do because traveling's hard anyway at least when I travel it seems to be and then <laughs> trying to combine those two can be a little tricky so I've probably done less of that and more of the having the kind of road trips and different things and to get the time away is a lot better I mean from my own personal experience I'm quite similar to you in a way when I was building up Venture Harbor I kind of find like sometimes in a weird way you get some really productive different kind of work done when you're in a different space you're in a different country I can't, you know it just gives you that kind of different environment where you might you know as as a founder you're perhaps spending more time thinking rather than getting caught up in the busyness of, of you know being in the office so i think there's definitely a lot of um a, you know a lot of value in doing that one thing i was wondering though is obviously this has been something that has been quite intentional for you in how you've built this company what were some of the things that you did to enable you to integrate or balance 
work and the the things you wanted to do outside of work? Yeah, so I think um, I'm a big advocate of <laughs> delegation and, and getting the right people in and also making sure that when I look at a task, I don't look at just, you know, how I'm going to do it, but I look at like who I can get in to help me do that. So I work a lot with outsourced members who are specialists in their area. And I find that that's a far more effective use of time than a lot of people will have that natural inclination. And and I'm lucky because I I don't like doing that, but it's to, it's to write, all right, I'll get on with this and I'll get the sweat of my brow and I'll get this done. Uh, Whereas for me, it's like, it's really going, okay, I have something that I need to do. I probably don't have all the knowledge I need. How do I find that knowledge? And then secondly, how do I get the people who, for them, this is easy. Uh, so for example, you know, I'm working on a piece at the moment. I'm working on a, a kind of a, a lead page uh, for driving up new subscribers. And, you know, I've worked with a copywriter who works with it. You know, I've still got, uh, I've got a knowledge around, you know, I've done courses and stuff like that, but I'm still not a professional landing page copywriter. Then I work with a landing page designer and then I work with a guy who works on lead pages to generate that thing. Now, Combined, obviously, it cost me a little bit of money, but the reality is I end up with a top of class landing page that works really, really well. And I've, you know, I've only invested the time to obviously hire these people and, and evaluate the work versus a handful of hours versus potential of, you know, you can easily, you know, we've all been there on WordPress or sites trying to fix a, an issue for four hours when we could have, <laughs> and we know we should have, but by this time, we're already put three hours down, so we might as well finish it. And I think that's, it's just to be keeping aware of those, of going to the experts first and getting them and, and I've been really looking that you know I'll, to hire people and then they'll actually tell me oh you know what this is not the way I would work and this is how I would do it so mm. they would you learn so much from that because because you have an idea of how things work and but the reality is it probably doesn't match up to how it really does you know at least from my perspective I have to have like knowledge of lots of different areas whether it's sales marketing production and whatever uh, and I'm never really a, I'm no longer a specialist at any one area I think that's the challenge and and then similar to like obviously the four-hour work week you know making sure that that time is allocated I mean I'm a big fan of and it's super simple but booking in those all that time in to your diary to make sure it doesn't block you know as simple as i you know i used to always have my lunches free and then i could occasionally have the odd call at lunchtime which was annoying so now all my lunches are blocked for you know the next 10 years or whatever same with any of my activities you know if if i'm doing jujitsu in the afternoon then i want to have you know an hour before so i'm not rushing and and just making sure that that's aware of that so that you don't gonna get caught having to make that choice of oh i need to do that business call or I need to do that when actually you know that you need those things and they're, they're really, really important so yeah and so did you kind of start with a team already that, that could do a lot of the the things that you needed to run the company or did you start off kind of doing a lot of things yourself and then gradually over time start to delegate these different activities it was either lucky or not but I always felt like I wasn't a very good writer I do think I am better now I'm doing a course to give me confidence <laughs> of, of, of being a writer but I always kind of knew that I wasn't it didn't come naturally to me so from the very start even when I was freelance I'd always get someone to, to write the content that was from the very start same with design you know I still don't know I don't even have illustrator or anything like that so those elements of the production side of things I've always tried to have externally so there is that I'm still kind of involved in a little bit is is ideas as in coming up with the ideas that's the one area that I am naturally quite good at and I, I quite enjoy and I don't feel like it drains me in the same way that normal work does and then I used to also do the outreach and I think outreach was draining and was work but no one else at the time could do it I couldn't find anyone whereas now I have I found someone who's way better than me so I was able to pass that on and, and they've taken where we were and 
taken it to somewhere I couldn't even imagine, you know. So I think that's what I'm looking for. I've had the same situation in sales and I, you know, over the last kind of year and a half, I found someone who who's very, very good at it, very got all that kind of sales experience that I didn't have. And then all I had to do was just get them to understand the product and why, you know, what is Neomam and all the rest of it rather than going on every sales call, which I think is naturally, I think a lot of founders uh, who, who kind of do the sales you feel like that you can never give that up and i think that mm. and I, I certainly felt that and actually if you want to grow and you want to you know move beyond that then you need to every part of your business should be provided to someone who you know don't just give it to anyone because i've certainly made mistakes like that but your job is to find those really really good people who and then basically teach them about what your business is and and, and so they can get on with doing even better work than you could ever do Talking about the team, I kind of looked in a few different places while I was researching for this episode. And I noticed on, I think on LinkedIn, there was about 20 on the website. I think it was 16. Before we jumped on this call, you mentioned that you're, you're currently around 16 people in total with a mix of, of people externally and, uh, and working in house. First of all, what's been the biggest challenge you've had? in growing the team. So just to give you a kind of a bit of a backstory, when we kind of started, we grew very, very quickly. Hands up, I had no real experience in business, was very kind of new, wet around the ears, and certainly made a lot of mistakes. So we hired very, very quickly. Uh, I think our interview stage in our kind of first year was pretty much, will you work for free for two weeks? And if so, then you've got a job after that. <laughs> so no real checking of culture fit and all those stuff that you know makes so much sense now. And we do, we made a lot of hires and a lot of, we just hired a lot of different people who all had different views of what, what they wanted from the business and you know no fault on them. But eventually it got to a point where combination of different things and obviously you know building a team that's obviously too big and, and not being able to supported by the sales team on one side and then also trying to then direct a, a large team who had very different ideas of where we wanted to go and aligning that with the business and doing that three years too late and, and then having some people who wanted to leave and some people who were, were told to leave as well 2015 was a, early 2015 was a lot of changes within that. And I think we learned a lot. I think you do need to go through those hard things, even though they are very hard, if, if anyone can relate to that. You know, people issues are the biggest problem, especially on the founders, because obviously they, it hurts more than anything else. But now, you know, the process for hiring, the you know, the process for getting people aligned with what we want to do is, is so, so much clearer uh, because we don't want to go back to those days of different views and, and, and different ideas on who we are and what we are. We really want people to, to align with our values and how we want to work and make sure that we give people the opportunity to, to share what they think and also share what we think during the interview process so they can make that call as well. And certainly we've, you know, we've had some really, made some really, really great hires and, and people who are really growing and at least I hope so. And, and, and they seem to be really enjoying it as well. So if you could go back to, let's say, mid 2014, what would be one thing that if you could if you could tell yourself with hindsight now, what would be one thing that you would tell your past self in 2014? Any kind of advice you might have? Yeah, I mean, probably would have made some people decisions there and then and made a really big decisions done it really quickly and got it over and done with because often these things are mistakes that happen over time and they build up and then when they do build up if you're not careful then you'll take ages to do it as in mm. you'll deal with all sorts of issues and arguments and all that stuff when actually you know you have to remember that it, it, at the end of the day it's your business and 
you if you have to make a hard decision and you have to see it then you you should do it and just move on from it and take it and accept that you've made some wrong decisions and and it's only fair on the on the people involved as well yeah i think it's definitely something i i can relate to like it's it's always a difficult thing isn't it when you've you know you've made a mistake it's it's a very kind of hard conversation to have and i sort of found in the early days with what we were doing it took someone else to tell me marcus you've got to get rid of that person um, and then I was like, okay, yeah, it's not, it's not just me that's thinking that, like, uh, you know, it's, but it, you know, it's an incredibly difficult decision to make. And you, I suppose once you've done it a, a couple of times, uh, you just realize it's the right thing to do. It's never, never an easy thing to do. Yeah, no, for sure. Because, you know, at the end of the day it is, we haven't got like, you know, hearts of stone. Like we, 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 we understand what it's like to be an employee and, and having to pay rent and all the rest of it. But I think it's not fair on of, of the people involved and, and, and everyone else that actually someone has to stand up and make the decision. It's only you who can make those decisions. Mm. Um, you know, you can always hope that people go, oh, well, you know, actually, you know, this isn't the place for me. But in reality, you know, most people will not make those decisions. The reason why you're the entrepreneur and you took that risk is because you do to make those decisions and you've got to you've got to stand by them. I think it's just having confidence in that. And that, that, that again, that does come with time and having to go through that and actually see delaying the, those decisions what that means to you and what that means to the team versus just grabbing the bull by the horns and, and dealing with it so while we're talking about some of the the kind of challenges with developing an agency i, I noticed when i was doing my research that the company was was founded with with a couple of other directors who resigned i believe in 2014 and i think so is it is it you and your partner that now run neomam uh, so it's me and uh, amy so amy's my sister so we're a brother and sister i started it with uh, one other guy uh, originally and then within about the first year amy came on board uh, and then jonathan came on board as well afterwards what we found was we got to a point where we we just felt that we we're going in different directions and we just kind of came to an agreement on where we were going to take the business forward and 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 that result was that you know couple of those directors left and again it was certainly you know similar to kind of people issues not something i would uh, want to happen but again looking back it was the right decision and a decision had to be made could i have done it better sure definitely i wish i could but you know you do what you can in those times and uh you know i, I feel whatever happened i you know we were fair with with how how we how we got to that uh, but yeah these things are always Always big challenges. I understand, you know, obviously we may not want to go into too much detail with this, but can you maybe share like a little bit around what led to that point and what was the, what did you have to do in order to to kind of correct this situation? Like, was there a, did the other kind of original directors have to be bought out or um, what, what was the process? So the process, obviously, was originally just kind of making it clear of what we wanted to do. And then where we went, and I think it was it was probably the best way was, I mean, you're you, you kind of in the dark because like neither of either parties knew what to do because no one had ever been there before. We had no mm. shareholders agreement. So that was definitely a mistake that I would recommend, you know, if I could go back maybe put one of those agreements <laughs> together so because of that we then got a mediator in we did it in one day um so it was pretty uh, intense and we basically just negotiated on a, on a settlement and signed it there and then uh, it was a lot of money for sure and i'm sure uh, the other party would say it wasn't enough but i think we, we got to a position where we felt was both sides were, were happy and then from there that was obviously a challenge then because a lot of our cash had been spent on that 
that whole process. And more importantly, a lot of our time, you know, my time especially mm. had been taken off the ball to deal with that. And, you know, rightly so. Uh, and so then we really had to reevaluate the business from that perspective of, you know, a business that's got lots of cash uh, is great because, you know, you can kind of take, you know, you can relax a little bit. Uh, but once you remove all the cash and you really need to be a business that's very profitable. And up to that point, we were a business that made some profit sometimes, some, 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 not, some not so. Uh, and we really then from that then onwards was really when we wanted to systemize our business, uh, be very clear on the financials and all the rest of the things that come to it and, and really build a very profitable business. We felt that we, we could be, and I'm, I'm happy to say we, we, we are now. So 2014, early 2015 sounds like it was maybe quite a, a challenging time, but the lessons learned from a couple of those difficult challenges have enabled you to become a much, much stronger business now and, you know, really kind of almost forced you to put those systems and processes in place that are so, so important for, for you know, scaling up a, an agency. When you don't need to, you just won't look at it and you don't mm. really, you don't really feel the, the need to, to make any changes. Whereas, it's incredibly hard, you know, emotionally, mentally during that time, but you do have to kind of grow up or you, or you, you pack it in, you know, and there's certainly times where you think, you know, maybe that's an option, but you get pushed to that point. And, you know, I, I spent, it was at that point, I, I used to kind of be a little bit like not involved in any of the businesses, didn't go to any networking events or anything like that. But then I, after that time, I'd really started to go out and speak to other businesses more just to kind of see if my experience was normal or not or any of those things and actually what i found was that this is completely normal and you know obviously mm. ours may have been a bit more extreme but actually someone's got a more more extreme story but actually that process of going from a quite a young business to you know to actually going through the the not so sexy bits of business and actually then having to to do those things and meeting other agency owners as an event that I went to uh, in Chester, really good event called Chimps. From there, I really learned from people who've been doing this a lot longer than we have, you know, 10 years plus, who've gone through problems and other problems uh, and what they used. And we actually, you know, then took those tools. So there's a tool that we use, which is called the Entrepreneurial Operating System or EOS. There's a guy called Gino Wickman. He's written a book and you can you can do it yourself. Amazing, it's an amazing system. And we would never have got to that if everything had been fine and it would have been a long time before we got there. But these things happen and there's no point learning those things beforehand because you haven't got that incentive to to get it right. Because mm. learning a new business system or anything like that, it's not easy. You know, it's really hard coming up with the values of what you stand for. It's like, you know, sweat and tears and all those stuff that go to it. So you need to have that incentive and that incentive is to not go to, you know, the bad place that you were. So... Danny, I want to switch gears. When we were chatting before um, this Skype, you mentioned that you've started to, to focus quite heavily on outbound sales. So can you talk us a little bit about what you're kind of doing around outbound sales to, to fill up the, the pipeline and how that's perhaps working? When we did have a situation where we needed more sales in, the biggest problem I had was that at, at that point, and a lot of agencies can relate to this, is a lot of the business was kind of referrals or previous customers and all the rest of it. And um, we had no CRM system or anything like that. And I really felt that uh, I really wanted the ability to be able to make business happen. You know, I, I didn't want to just wait and see what happens because it was took so long and it, it, it really reduced the flexibility that we have in the business environment. And we pretty much started from very simple, like getting someone in part time, you know, emailing people out. And we built a very rudimentary system with Google Sheets, sending out emails manually, and we got two sales. So it, it showed me that 
it could work. As in, you can email someone and you have a product and they want to buy it. Um, I think, you know, just to kind of preface this is like, you know, our product is very product based, as in, we sell, you know, two products, they have fixed pricing, there's a, a clear end result at it. Whereas I think with, you know, I go to these other events for, for agencies, especially if you're kind of like a full service agency, it, that's a lot more challenging because obviously, mm. You know, you're not selling the product, so it's very hard to direct where you're going to aim at. So I'm not saying just take this and completely run with it and it'll work. But if you do have a product size, that's probably not a word, but a product that you can sell, uh, even if it is a service like ours is, we've definitely seen that works. Over the years, we really just kind of upgraded it, adjusted it, and really made it the best we can. Because what we saw was actually outbound sales is very similar to what we do with our, you know, the promotion side of our business. So, you know, in finding the right people giving them the right message and, and getting them to take an action. And we now use tools like Pipedrive as the CRM system. Persist IQ is what we use. It's a really great system. And it's just literally built for that. So it allows you to kind of load in the messages and it does all the kind of follow-ups. I mean, there's probably tools out there that do it, but we, we, we quite like it. But the most important thing is it obviously gives us the data of, of what's working. Mm. And then we make those tweaks. And then that data is then something that we can use to, you know, to drum up business and have a bit more control. You know, I read a lot of sales books trying to find out what works. I think once I remember, I can't remember the exact name of it, but he, he said like the, the biggest issue, and, and this is a few books they talk about, biggest issue with sales is not so much like, selling as much as lead gen and making sure that you increase mm. that because even if you're terrible at sales if you have enough leads you can make make money before we go on if you're looking to grow your client base and capture more leads for your agency then i'd recommend checking out lead formally lead formally is a lead generation tool ran by yours truly that enables you to upgrade the forms on your website to conversion optimized forms that are going to increase your conversion rate and help you capture more qualified leads from your website Using Leadformly, we've seen agencies capture up to 700% more leads. So if you're interested in giving it a try, we have a 14-day free trial that you can check out at leadformly.com. That's L-E-A-D-F-O-R-M-L-Y.com. Once again, that's at leadformly.com. And I think that's often with agencies, that's the biggest issue. It's not so much selling because if, especially if you're the founder of it, you can probably convert the right leads relatively easily, but it's getting those right companies. I think we took a long time to really drill down on who are the people who work well for us. So we know we can't work with everyone. You know, if, if, a, if a client just wants to work with a full service agency, then it, it doesn't make sense for us. If they are a certain size and smaller or they're in certain uh, services, then in a certain market, we know it doesn't work for them. They might be interested in it, but we're only just going to waste our time pitching them and selling them and then not actually be able to produce the work at the end. So it's just really drilling down on those people and, and getting there. In terms of coming up with that prospect list of these are the 50 companies that we're going to contact this week, how, how are you currently creating that kind of very top of funnel list of prospects? Yeah, so I've got a, a girl who's been working with me for like five years who just does that manually on LinkedIn. So she will be going through. I, I've also got a, a email hunter, but I think it's kind of called something else now, like mm. called Hunter, where basically once she finds them, then she can actually get their email address straight away. So that's quite cool. That was quite a basically put a guy out of a job who used to do that for me, which is sad for him, but good for me because it was really cheap. Um, but yeah, and I think it's important to have that that human touch. So she can really, we can talk to her and say, look, this is why this company doesn't work. This is why this company doesn't work. And she can adjust her process for that versus 
you know, I know there's a lot of tools out there for scraping. It depends on what market. I mean, if you're in like mass market and you're selling a tool that everyone can use, that's probably good. But mm. for us, the most important thing is speaking to the right person. It has the job title has to match. So if the job title doesn't match, we can spend hours and hours speaking to marketing managers. And if they're not the right people, then we're just going to waste time. We're not going to get anywhere. And we're not then spending that time with the right people who we know based on you know, the people who convert are the right people and are the people that are not just going to, you know, do one product with us. They're going to, you know, get on retainers with us, which is, you know, that's our end. Obviously our end goal is to lock them in for kind of a longer term commitment. It's an interesting one, like, cause it, it seems like it's quite trendy at the moment. Like a lot of these outbound sales tools that are popping up and I've, I've heard very mixed things about tools like Datanize and e- even I think builtwith.org that kind of tell you like how many people are using different tools and CRMs. I think these tools kind of scrape a lot of the data and will say, if you need to know like the CMOs within 20 kilometers of Manchester that have just started using HubSpot, they'll kind of come up with a, a list. I think you're spot on that sometimes there's an element of intuition that you need to kind of process those lists manually because you might be looking, I suppose, in your instance, like, you know, have they already invested money in infographics or or you know, are they in an industry where visual content makes sense? And I suppose that's something that needs to be kind of processed by a human to some degree. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the challenge is that a lot of this stuff is created for a different market. So, and it's great that it exists. So, you know, these tools like Persist and everything else, but most of them are built for SaaS products. Mm. So a lot of the tools out there are not going to be relevant to us as agencies because we're probably a lot more targeted of who we, who we want to speak to. And I think that's just it's trying to work out how you use these tools, but without, like, to me, it doesn't matter whether they use HubSpot or they what server-side technology. But for if you obviously if you're a competitor or you're an add-on for those things, then it makes perfect sense. Mm. Um, but I, I do think you, you kind of have to find something that works and something that stands out. But the outbound sales approach is certainly not perfect. You know, there's plenty of people who, who just ignore it or don't, don't want to be contacted. And that, that's absolutely fine. I'm most of the time I'm, I'm kind of like that, especially when it's not targeted. But what we find is that if we do target it right and at the right people, then actually what we're doing is reducing their time to go and see out who's out there. Uh, mm. And as long as that feels like you're doing them a job versus you know just pushing something on someone that doesn't make sense. You know, if, if, I get it all the time. They're like, oh, well, well, would you want this tool? And it's like, if you just check the website, you check up anything on me, you'd see that that, that doesn't make sense to me at all. And mm. I think it's the same thing in you know in, in standard sales. It's like if if it makes sense to you, you know, if you're interested or you've got a vague interest in that area, then this knowledge that you're being given because they can learn what your prices are, find out some of your case studies, and then often I'm not looking to make that sales straight away. I'm looking for them just to be aware of that. Most times when we get those sales straight away, it's because we just got lucky. So they're, you know, they've literally just fired their existing provider or they've just decided that day that they want to do it. But in most cases, I'm really looking to just to get on their radar. Uh, and then be in the running for when they do look at things and actually, you know, to compare our product to what other competitors do and make a decision that what makes sense for them. So, Danny, I want to go on to some quickfire questions. So the first one I've got for you is what's your the book that's had the most impact on you whilst growing Neomam? OK, so I would say the book that's been the most important and this was recommended to me from a, an old client of mine which is uh, and it, maybe people have already read it but like is it built to sell yeah yeah amazing book and it's and what i like about it is that it's really simple as well and it really it's really directed at like agencies which you don't really get that it's, it's mm. rare it's, it's a really cool book worth reading i've read it a couple of times now i think that's probably the one book that 
change my view of, of how things work. There's been loads of other books that, you know, are great and everything else like that. But that's the one that really stands out that I was like, I, I think I read it while I was at PubCon in, in Vegas. And I, I remember just reading it like in two days or something. And I was like, wow, like this, like, <laughs> I don't remember anything else at PubCon, like nothing else, but that book was worth it. But that's Vegas, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> that's probably it. But that book was, yeah, amazing. And and I think it's, it's often the mistake at agencies that we can make that we end up doing different products and different, you know, different services but clients want everything and we've got to be strong to say actually this is what we do and this is why we do it and it's amazing because once you do that then the referrals increase people are willing to pay you a premium for what you do versus you know comparing you to kind of a commodity which you know is never good for anyone i think that'd be that'd be a fantastic strap line for that book this book is so good that you'll remember it on a trip to vegas (laughs) (laughs) okay danny my, my second question is what's your favorite tool that you're using right now Okay, so at the moment, I'm doing quite a lot of ideas stuff. So I've gone helping out with that and getting us kind of improved. I've never used this tool before. I know probably many of SEO have, but it's Ahrefs, um, mm. which is a, it's a backlink tool. But what I really like for it is it has an ability. So you can put an entire domain into, you can put like BuzzFeed in or something like that. And then you can look at what the top linking pieces of content on there. So like BuzzSumo does it for, you know, shares, which I think is good, but it's problematic firstly because it's got one year only of data and also socials can be swayed by advertising and, and it doesn't give you a true sense of whether that will work for links whereas with the hrefs tool then you are looking at what actually has worked and it goes back since time began on the internet and um, so you can find content from like 2001 or 2002 and it can be great stuff that worked really well that just needs to be brought back to 2016 in a nice shiny format and then you've got it so it's not cheap i think it's like 160 dollars but it you know it's worth it if you do content nice so what's one piece of advice that you would give an agency owner looking to go from six figures up to seven figures Okay. Um, firstly, would be, you know, look at the profit margin because I think that's the, the big mistake that we made is that, you know, revenue is all great, but if you're not making as much as you should be, then it probably makes sense to look at a profit margin that makes sense. I think as a specialized agency, there's no reason why you can't be doing 40% profit on it. Don't feel like, you know, 10 or 20 is the only thing you can do. Um, and it's far better to be doing 40% at like 800 than doing like 5% at, you know, 2 million. So, you know, it it's going to be a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. So that's one side of it. But then obviously we're not like a massive size. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, the, the growth uh, extraordinaire, but I'd say that assuming like, you know, kind of mid-level six figures and, and kind of moving into that next area. I think having that sales and marketing machine for your agency is really important, uh, however you want to do it. So, you know, we've taken the approach, obviously, without bound and then kind of content marketing, inverters, commas, to kind of focus that. But you need some sort of plan and you probably need to be investing, you know, the time and resources of at least one person to kind of support that. It doesn't mean that you get just one person internally but you could you know combine of outsource people but have a plan and have it as as important because you don't want to get into a situation where you are too reliant on the your current clients clients should be leaving after one or two years like i think that's good for everyone firstly because when new clients start they usually pay a higher rate and also that i think there is just a time where 
it just makes sense that either you know the the client's grown beyond or the the agency's grown beyond the client and and then it's fair for that to be okay and to have that ability you need to be always having those new leads or those new potential clients uh, mm-hmm. on a fairly regular basis so that you know you want to be in a position where you can choose to get rid of clients or choose to change clients and and not mean that you'll you lose all your money that month or anything like that so uh, i think just having that focus and you know having that one person dedicated to it and having you know ownership of that seat got it my next question is, what were your biggest causes of client churn in the early days when you were growing? This is obviously going to be a little bit different for you because it's a somewhat more kind of product focused business. But if we kind of were to just look at the the clients you've got a sort of a, more of an ongoing relationship with, and perhaps you mentioned that you, you know, ideally want to aim for like a one, two year relationship, but perhaps thinking about the ones that maybe left a little bit prematurely, what were some of the the biggest causes of, of clients leaving early? Yeah, well, I think the big thing that I didn't expect, but actually it was probably like the, the, the soft skill stuff. So it was when clients didn't feel like they were being heard or they felt that they weren't serviced as well as they could be. I think that's probably the biggest issue that we had with clients where we were still getting them good results, but they didn't feel like they were looked after or they felt that they they were just a cog in the machine, so to speak. And certainly, you know, a couple of years ago, that's how we were. So we used to have a lot of clients a lot of products in production, whereas now we're probably a lot smaller clients who pay a lot more and, and we do smaller but more expensive campaigns, which makes it easier. But also we made a decision probably about six months ago to get an account manager to sit on top of where the project managers are as well, because that makes sense for our business. And actually having that relationship with them is ultimately the most important. And at a point where you're growing beyond, you know, I can have a relationship with, you know, maybe three or four clients, but if you've got a lot more than that, you're going to need someone else who's dedicated to that because things will get busy. You know, you'll have to put other fires out. You can't be the only person to be that relationship. So I think that's for us as an agency, it's really important to make sure that if clients are unhappy, they're able to tell us that. So we've got that relationship to do that. So we can do something about it. Because in most cases, they're unhappy, they don't tell you, and then they just leave. Mm. Uh, and you don't even know that. But at least we've had the you know, the benefit of some people telling us uh, why they've left and or given us a, a, you know, a good indication of, of what happened. And, and in most cases, that's the reason. Results-wise, we always try and keep on top of results, and that's really important to us. But sometimes when you're too obsessed about results, you can forget the little things. And you know, at the end of the day, if someone's mm. paying a, an agency to work with, they want someone who's listening to them and you know, giving them that special service as well. So I think that's important. Got it. So my last question is, what's next for Neoman? Yeah, what's next? So, so obviously, I sit on the seat of the sales and marketing, so I can tell you a bit about that. The outbound, I'm really wanting to add to that, like an inbound methodology. And I know that sounds really wanky and everything else like that, but, <laughs> but essentially, we're working on it. We've done an ebook, uh, which is really, really good, and I'll certainly send you a copy in exchange for your email. Awesome. Um, we're going to be printing some of those out and send them out to some of our people on our outbound list, so bringing the real life into the email. So I think that's kind of interesting to see, but primarily we're going to be looking to really push this ebook out far and wide it, it really helps people so it's eight reasons why your awesome content gets no links um, and it's a lot of our knowledge distilled over the last kind of seven years in a format and we don't mind sharing it and obviously if people want to take it and use it to you know make their clients work better that's okay but we also know that we need something to stand out with our competitors so they know not just that we get results and what our price is they want to know what's our knowledge and the expertise in the mm-hmm. team and i don't think we've done a good job of really sharing that apart from the odd few blogs posts and so 
before you know any lead becomes you know into a sales thing we want them to consume this content and i'm using a, a tool called uh, drip which is a drip email tool amazing tool and combine that with lead pages to then build and then this is probably stuff you know simple to you but you know building that list and building that as like our, our value asset and uh, i think that's really important you know i'm you know friends with brian dean he tells me all the time he's telling me for years about the list and i've you know i've been fans of all like internet marketer and all these different people and now it's finally kind of getting that and seeing how that can work for the agency and i'm you know we're certainly not going to be perfect with it from the start but i'm quite excited about it i've got my landing page it's going to be ready by the end of this week looks amazing so i'm going to see how it converts and i'm excited by it so i know that's a thing i should be working on because it's it's cool it's a bit different to what we've done in the past at the end of the day you know we're in the world of internet marketing we that should be the way that we get our clients i I don't go to networking events i don't do anything that involves me going anywhere so (laughs) this is the way i have to do it and i like it because yeah it can you know run automated and i can get other people to manage it so it's good yeah just a bit more scalable isn't it in terms of kind of the future of neo mam like where is this all heading like where do you sort of see taking the company I think one of the things that we've, and we're still thinking about this and there's still something that we want to work. I think obviously we've been a lot bigger people agency. I don't think we've got the idea to grow massively and, and have some big large team, 150, 50 people even. So I think for us, you know, one of the things we've been working on is obviously getting that profit margin right. And, and that's something that's working. But I think what we really want to be is like kind of like a boutique agency who do some of the best work in the industry. We're not the cheapest and we will continue to not be the cheapest, but for the right clients, we're the only option. I think that's where we like being. And I think that makes sense for, for us. And you know what's really important to us is that we're doing the work that we like doing, that the team likes doing, that I like doing, that Giselle likes doing, Amy likes doing, uh, Luke likes doing. Everyone's excited about it because that was kind of the reason I got into business. Obviously, uh, you know, I, I wanted the freedom that I didn't have working for someone else so I could choose my clients, I could choose the type of work I do. And I think that's really important to us, to everyone else to feel that way. And to do that, I think, being like a a premium boutique kind of provider is a lot easier to do than being a kind of a large agency that is kind of forced to take the extra work to kind of to feed the ever-growing machine so yeah i think that that sounds really exciting and very very interesting well danny it's been a huge huge pleasure and amazingly insightful and i'm really grateful of you know sharing you sharing all of these insights in terms of if people want to learn a bit more about neo mam or you know connect with you what's the best way that they can either get in touch or, or learn a little bit more well i'm happy for people to email me directly if they want you know to ask me a question danny at neomam.com but the website as well we've got a lot of stuff on there obviously neomam.com you've got all i can have our services pages and i've just reworked them currently so you can really get to see kind of how we sit differently to other agencies maybe give you some inspiration for your own service pages if, if that's of interest and then yeah i think we're on twitter and all those things but i can't remember the names <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you search for us on google we do all right you know what i mean you'll find us i'm sure awesome all, all those links from the infographics <laughs> yeah, who'd have thought links help to improve your search ranking i, I never knew that who'd, who'd have thought <laughs> <laughs> And Danny, if you fire over the ebook, what we'll do is we'll link to that in the show notes as well. So if, if anyone wants to, uh, to check that out, they can as well. So Danny, huge pleasure having you here and big thank you. No, you too. It was great. It was great fun talking to you. Awesome. We'll catch you soon. Cheers, Marcus. Thanks for listening to this episode of the 10X Your Agency podcast. If you're interested in acquiring more leads for your business, I'd like to invite you to a free webinar that I'll be hosting on how to acquire 300% more leads from your website without increasing your traffic. 
In this webinar, I'll be sharing how you can turn your website into a lead generation machine, four strategies on how you can boost your form submissions by 300%, and much more. So if you're interested, all you need to do is go to Google, type in Lead Formly, acquire more leads. That's Lead Formly, spelled L-E-A-D-F-O-R-M-L-Y, acquire more leads. And the landing page to register for the webinar should appear at the top. As I said, it's completely free and we run this webinar every single week. So once again, thanks for listening to this week's episode and stay tuned for next week's episode of the Tanakshire Agency podcast.